I'm Evan Smith of the Texas Tribune, and this is Point of Order, a podcast about the ins and outs, the ups and downs, people and politics and traditions of the 87th Texas Legislature. This week, party of one. Except for a few burnt end of the conservative brisket types, there's general agreement that for Republicans, this has been a session for the ages, one that's left Democrats crying in their yerba mate. Permitless carry of handguns, one of the nation's most restrictive abortion laws, a ban on the teaching of critical race theory, ballot integrity out the wazoo, more limits on local control than you can shake an unrequired mask at, no Medicaid expansion, scant action on marijuana and policing reform. That's just scratching the surface. So what's Lyle Larson's glitch? The San Antonio House member has been a mostly reliable red vote since he was first elected to represent District 122 in 2010, following 11 years as a Bear County Commissioner and four years on the San Antonio City Council. But of late, and especially the last four months, he seems adrift ideologically, alone with his thoughts. He began the 87th with a tweet suggesting the state should rethink its ardent opposition to expanding Medicaid as the uninsured rolls continue to swell. We were at 18.4% pre-pandemic, double the national average. That's 5.2 million of us. And spiking unemployment over the last 12 months has added another 650,000 plus to that total. Larson's non-radical idea was that we put expansion before the voters, as many conservative states have done. No luck there. When the Democrats tried to orchestrate some form of relief for the uninsured as a budget amendment, Larson was the only Republican to support them. More recently, he's turned his attention to legalizing medical marijuana and gambling, two other GOP non-starters, suggesting that they too should be on the ballot so Texans can have their say, along with term limits for state officials and a pet rock issue of his, daylight savings time. This weekend, he added changes to the way we administer elections to his outlier agenda. Good ideas will attract more voters than suppression, he tweeted. False allegations when acted upon in the legislature will erode confidence in the voting process. Democracy is the injured party in all of this. Speaking of Larson's Twitter feed, these days it's the most interesting read in Texas politics. A mix of Marcus Aurelius and Winston Churchill quotes, Willem Dafoe and John C. Riley gifts, and a wistful pining for a partisan-free world that doesn't exist. Some people think Larson's going a little crazy, but at a moment when up is down, could he be crazy like a fox? Here in the run-up to Sine Die, I wanted to find out. I wanted to hear what he's thinking about the ledge, his party, Texas, and his future. So I sat down with him on the morning of Monday, May 24th, Day 133 of the 140. Point of Order is supported by CPS Energy, proudly serving the greater San Antonio area. Visit www.cpsenergy.com to learn more. And by the Texas Hospital Association, advocating for coverage expansion and policies that improve health for all 
in a state where hospitals and healthcare are critical to the economy. And water grows. From the city to the suburbs and on to the countryside, water plays an important role. It grows our economy, our farms, and our children's future. Let's make it last. Learn more at watergrows.org or follow at watergrows on social media. And Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, dedicated to creating access to healthcare for uninsured and low-income families in South Texas through healthcare services, advocacy, and strategic grant making. Learn more at mhm.org. And Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas, proud to support this conversation because public dialogue and civic engagement are important and play a role in improving the health of Texans. Representative, thank you so much for joining. No problem, Evan. So tell me about the other club. The other club. Well, F.A. Smith and Winston Churchill in 1905 decided to gather people from the different parties because they were just not working uh, together well. So uh, they brought people from the Liberal and Conservative Party, the Labor Party, uh, the Tory Party, and they had folks from... uh, and they were brought in not to give speeches, uh, just simply uh, to, to socialize and get to know each other better. And they felt like at that point uh, they could coexist and, and, and create uh, better governance. That, the other clubs still exist today that F.A. And, and Winston set up in 1905. And so that concept needs to come to the United States, both in Washington and all the other states where we don't break down, uh, you know, from a legislative standpoint, the Republicans and Democrats. We don't communicate a lot outside of the legislature, and I think it would somewhere down the road, it's it's going to create uh, a, an opportunity for better governance. Uh, the, the hyperpartisanship is exactly what they saw in England in 1905, and I think we probably meet that or exceed that uh, that hyperpartisanship yeah. here in Texas. Uh, That sounds like a very Larsonian idea, given your frame of mind, apparently, these days. And indeed, you convened a group, as we stand here today on Monday the 24th, last Wednesday the 19th, you had a dinner under the auspices of this idea of the other club, where you brought Republicans and Democrats, as I understand it, together. We did. We had 25 Republicans and 25 Democrats, and we had a a five-hour social, and... uh, there was no lobby. There was no staff. It was just uh, the 50 members. And yeah. a lot of bridges were built. Uh, a lot of uh, open communication about what's transpired in this session, what we need to do going forward, uh, how, you know, how uh, governance uh, needs to exist. And it has to work with both parties. We just, we just don't do this. So all the credit goes to Winston Churchill and F.A. Smith for the concept. Yeah, but you could have done this in January, it sounds like. Maybe you would have had a different session. Maybe not, right? Well, that's true. I think, uh, yeah, the concept was there. Uh, I just uh, didn't have the opportunity to sit down and 
and, uh, and, and work through it. COVID was also a restricting factor. They didn't have COVID in 1905. Like fair, 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 fair enough, right. I'm not sure Winston Churchill would have looked good at a mask if, uh, if yeah, I Yeah, that's true. Uh, how did you decide quickly, before we move on, how did you decide who made the cut, which 25 Republicans and which 25 Democrats? You know, very similar to the, the metrics used by F.A. And, and Winston, it was folks uh, that uh, not necessarily part of leadership. Some were. Uh, we had some uh, some folks that are uh, in in leadership, but mainly just folks that are not uh, on the far left or the far right. They're not right. pushing extreme agendas, and they're folks that get along. Uh, they're collegial, and they work with other people really well. Yeah. So, so, Representative, I thought I would spend a while now just reading your tweets back to you because your Twitter feed is something else these days. It's it's my favorite thing on, on that platform. Um, and I'm going to go out of sequence, if you don't mind. I'm going to start with three that are related. Um, May 16th, you tweeted, Texas should lead the nation in the development of an independent party. Idolizing and enabling in both parties has us in a breath of $30, 000, $30 trillion in debt and divided like never before. First of all, idolizing who? I think both parties uh, have got into that. You, you look at uh, both uh, the present president and uh, the immediate past president, people get so enamored and they create a celebrity of them and they idolize and these people seem infallible. Uh, it, it never, I could never understand how the, the former president uh, was considered conservative. But, there was a seven and a half trillion dollar debt that was accumulated during the four years that he served. And I remember when George W. and George H. Bush, they accumulated a trillion dollars of debt and they were uh, uh, they were about to be run out of town because of that. They were conserved. Uh, they were considered liberals. And yeah. so I, I think we need to figure out exactly what the term conservative means before they start uh, projecting that onto folks. And, the idolization, I think just because of all the information that flows in and you get saturated, all of a sudden these people become larger than life when they're just uh, they're just human beings uh, and uh, they they're not any brighter than a lot of folks uh, that are here in Texas. And I, I just don't I don't believe we should idolize uh, people that are that are representing us uh, in any level of government. Do I take this to mean, Representative, that you were not a Trump guy, despite being a loyal Republican for 30 years in elective office, that you were not a Donald Trump supporter? You know, I uh, I voted for Donald Trump uh, uh, when he ran for office both times. Uh, so but I, I didn't get caught up into uh, a lot of uh, the, uh, the idolization that was happening in our party. Uh, I like some of the concepts as far as you know, uh, dealing with uh, of folks in foreign governments and and how uh, he he was holding them accountable for certain actions. I like some of the the, the policies that were pro business. I didn't like uh, just the the constant uh, assault on anybody that disagreed with him. I think that's counter to any good governance. And so. Uh, you know, I, from from a policy standpoint, there were a few things that that uh, that I like. Uh, you know, but from a personal standpoint, didn't really care for a lot of the things uh, that he was uh, yeah. he was doing. So, not, not your cup of tea. No, it just I, I just don't think that's that's good for the United States. 
All right, so here's Lyle Larson on May 12th on Twitter. A hyperpartisan agenda with extreme gender and racial overtones is a surefire way of continuing alienation of folks that you seek to grow your Big Ten philosophy. Shifting demographics will present a limited future for your party. Hashtag Texas Independent Party. There's that phrase again. What specifically are you referring to by extreme gender and racial overtones? You voted for the limits on abortion. I assume that's not what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, I am pro-life. Uh, But uh, the issue that uh, we continued to hear this session uh, was, you know, basically segregating uh, the Republican Party from uh, what was going on in the mainstream. Uh, You saw some attempts uh, to uh, uh, or actually successful attempt to uh, work towards uh, whitewashing uh, some of the some of the past history. I, I, I completely disagree with that. In any country that's gone about doing that, it uh, doesn't matter how horrific uh, the actions uh, were. Uh, anytime you do that, then society doesn't learn. And so, you're, you're talking about the critical race theory bill representative, which you voted against. Right? Uh, yes, yes, sir. Uh, yeah. And I just, uh, you know, we spent, uh, we spent uh, countless hours debating something that was just separating the party. Uh, there, uh, there's value to having people understand uh, what took place. So you don't have to apologize for it, but I think you can educate people uh, about how right. how all that took place. And uh, it, it, we've seen the separation. The polling showed it, and the voting patterns have shown it. Where uh, the Republicans have, have done a really good job alienating ourselves from. Uh, from uh, women and from a number of ethnic groups. And I just don't think that's, uh, in, in, if you look at uh, the demographics trending, uh, the Republican Party, if we continue to rely strictly uh, on uh, folks uh, that look like you and me, then uh, the party has a very limited future. And I think in, that's- In a state that's changing pretty dramatically before our eyes. Right. And we always talk a good game about the yeah. big tent that we want to reach out. But our pol- policies are, are counter to all of the discussions we have during an election cycle. We we do the outreach. But what we did in the legislative session is just pushing further away from us. Uh, you know, I, uh, a lot of the demonization that takes place uh, in, in the name of far right politics it just doesn't bode well for the longevity of the Republican Party. I wondered when you talked about gender, since I knew you had supported the limit on abortion, Representative, if you were talking about the transgender athletes bill, which is yet to be resolved by the building, are you going to be for the ban on transgender athletes playing the sport based on their bio, their gender identity as opposed to the biological sex? Or what should the party be playing? Should the legislature be playing in that space? Well, the, the, the bill, that the way it's written right now, basically codifies the UIL practice. Uh, UIL already has uh, a, a, a process that when someone wants to participate in that sport, we're talking about a universe of less than 10 kids in the state of Texas. But each of the schools have gone in, or the school districts have a protocol that they, they use. We basically are codifying that, and there's a study involved. Uh, I think that uh, just for clarity's sakes, that bill's a good bill. Ken King's carrying it. I've had a lengthy discussion about it. Uh, the amendments uh, that will be offered 
uh, will be opposed. And so hopefully we'll continue to do it. A lot of, again, again, this is a lot of hyperbole uh, that's being projected from a few of the far right factions that this is a big issue. It's not. It, it's an issue that's been reconciled and it has been for the last decade. But you will be a yes vote for the Dutton bill, right? Uh, I will be a yes for the uh, uh, for, for, for the Yeah, for the King. Ken King uh, bill, pardon yeah. me. Yeah. The bill that the, the uh, chair of public education moved along. All right, May, May 10th. Here is Larson on Twitter. The governor's GOP primary is going to be literally crazy. Huff Hines, West, Boo Boo are jumping into the race. Rick Perry, Matthew McConaughey, Sid Miller are rumored. Abbott has the money in position. Get your popcorn early sports fans. Time has come for hashtag Texas Independent Party. I must tell you, Representative, the great mystery of the session is who is Boo Boo? You know how many people have asked me, the hell is Larson talking about? Who's yeah. Boo Boo? Who is Boo Boo? Well, I think it's probably everybody uh, outside of those two names. Boo Boo is a collective name. Okay, so uh, there's no specific person you're referring to as Boo Boo. No, but I guarantee you there'll be a crazy little fill the spot and you'll right. go, uh-huh, that's who it was. That, that, that's Boo Boo. So you're, you're reasonably certain Alan West in your own mind is going to, uh, is going to get in this race? He's making all the overtures like he is. He's attacking the governor. Right. Uh, he's been out uh, working the uh, uh, the grassroots of the party. And uh, so I don't think he has anything to lose. Uh, I mean, he came here. He's a carpetbagger, uh, very similar to other people that have come here and run for office from other states. And they run, yeah. they get elected. And uh, I think he'll... Uh, he probably will run. And I think Sid Miller, he's also making overtures. Uh, the more interesting one would be somebody like Matthew McConaughey. And the reason I say that is because his celebrity, very similar to, to Donald Trump's, already raises him up to a certain level. Now, when he starts making decisions on where he sits on his platform, then the division starts uh, of his uh, of his popularity. But uh, the, the whole idea of uh, polytainment, of blending politics and entertainment is a, uh, is a fascination uh, in politics all across the country. If you get somebody like that, that's a moderate, that runs strictly on issues that, that the state's accountable for, education, health care, uh, yeah. infrastructure issues on that, and he stays away from the cultural wars, uh, I think that's, uh, that's a clear and present danger to both parties. Uh, because uh, they have to go through an appeasement process on the far right and the far left, and in the primaries they're compromised as they limp into the general uh, the general election. So somebody like that, uh, I think yep. there's 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 value. And then uh, you know the, there's other people that have, uh, that have talked about running people from the legislature. Uh, uh, and and Abbott's going to be uh, very difficult to, to unseat because of this of his incumbency, but, uh, and, and, uh, all the resources that he's gathered. Well, and also if you have a bunch of people in the primary that divides the opposition, right? That's that uh, makes the math uh, hard, hard to work. Right. Um, and that's where the independent party comes in. And, uh, the independent party doesn't have to go through a process or their process will be limited as far as the number of people they'll be seeking the nomination of each of those you would have to, in the, the issue would be you would have to have somebody that could gather up to 5% uh, 
uh, of the overall vote in the November election for the independent party to move forward into 2024. Uh, that's uh, something that a lot of folks, uh, when dealing with uh, uh, a lot of the companies that uh, that were pleading with uh, the leadership in Austin not to go through with voter suppression, a lot of those folks are getting together and uh, they're putting together a strategy uh, to offer alternatives to folks. And uh, people in, uh, you know, the, the, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party are fracturing right now. Uh, you've got the progressive movement on one side and then you've got the far right movement on the Republican Party. The identity of both parties is changing. This is the perfect time, like it has been in other democracies, where a third party or third and fourth party would emerge and give people options. Then you have coalition government opportunities where you sit down and you don't have the hyper-partisanship uh, uh, controlling you know, the, the, the whole debate on what policies will move forward. So I, I think there is an opportunity. Somebody like uh, Matthew McConaughey running as an independent and they get a yeah. slate of candidates, uh, everything that happened during COVID, uh, I thought that all of that's going to come back. The winter storm's going to come back. Voter suppression issues are going to come back. And, and a, a number of other issues, uh, it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a bumpy ride in 2022. And that's- Do you, uh, do you know something, uh, Representative Larson, that Matthew McConaughey is a Republican? I, I think no one right now knows wh which primary he'd run in. Uh, you know, he hasn't disclosed that, but I would assume if he ran in a primary, if he didn't run as an independent, uh, he'd probably run as a Republican. He grew up in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, uh, he's he's made statements uh, that were uh, pretty pro business and, uh, and 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 pretty middle of the road. So you would you would think that, but I, I, I it would be more intriguing uh, to have him run as an independent, uh, yeah. like, like Angus King did in Maine, and uh, an, an independent governor. Uh, it doesn't matter who's in the House and the Senate; that they can really control, you know how. Uh, you know, uh, how the debates would take place as far as the different issues. And hopefully they would turn away some of the the extreme elements that we've had to deal with yeah. in this last session. So, Representative, let me ask you a question. So these are three different tweets, and I could name others, where you're talking about the creation of an independent party. Why don't you set an example and quit the Republican Party? I want to be clear. I'm not suggesting you do. I'm wondering why you don't because you're talking about the importance of this, the need for this. I mean, you talked about Representative Sherman in another tweet making an argument on the floor to strip partisan labels of members to fix the challenges of our state. You called partisanship the ill that plagues our state and nation. So why don't you step up and be the role model here and quit the party? Yeah, I'm not ruling that out. Uh, I can tell you the, the best form of governance that I've served in was at local level where it was nonpartisan. Right. And you just sat there and focused on issues. If you could strip the, the jerseys off of uh, both teams up here and you said, we've got this problem uh, and there's no credit going back to a, a, a another entity, uh, yeah. then I think you would have a whole lot better uh, governance. Uh, I would like to see uh, partisanship is the dumbing down of, of, of American government. It clearly presents... Uh, uh, an opportunity for two or three people to do all the thinking uh, for the the the, the uh, a whole body, and I just don't think that's uh, that's working well for us. And, and if you look at 
like I said, you look at every democracy in the world and, and our forefathers have talked about it, both George Washington, John Adams, uh, Thomas Jefferson, they all said uh, the greatest fear they had was the emergence of a two-party system and it would be the, 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 uh, the downfall of our democracy. We're there. Uh, we're right there right now. You can't get anything done in Washington uh, uh, because of the, the hyper-partisanship. And uh, we have uh, uh, over the horizon in Texas, as we change, that partisanship is, uh, is getting worse and worse. And so uh, a multiple party system uh, would be a lot better than a two party system. Uh, the far right uh, can create their own party. The far left can create their own party. Uh, the two existing parties uh, could, could represent what uh, what Bill Clinton and what uh Ronald Reagan uh, or George Bush represented in, in the parties. There's the, the, the vision of both the, the parties as we know it, as we grew up, has changed dramatically. And that's where I think independent party or multiple independent parties, whatever the, the, the nomenclature you use, right. you know, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, there's time for, for, for that to happen. And uh, I think I'm not opposed uh, to, being involved in that, but it's got to be more than one person. There's got to be other people that are involved that are frustrated uh, with the, the in a, inability of either party uh, to really effectively govern. Uh, so, so just so I'm clear on what you said earlier, I mean, all this is very interesting and you've obviously thought a lot about this. You are seriously considering whether you want to remain a Republican under the current circumstances. Uh, I, I would like to see a third party emerge and I would entertain the idea of being part of that party. I'm glad you brought up a local government representative. Uh, you tweeted on May 1st, lots of members in the ledge should consider running for office at the local level. Passing bills at the state level that adversely impact cities and counties is the opposite of the devolution of government that Reagan advocated. Run for mayor or council and sell your ideas there. That's been a persistent conversation, hasn't it, for the last several sessions, the degree to which local control may no longer be a conservative core value. You're right. And Ronald Reagan talked about that when people wanted to decentralize the government. He talked about pushing down the decisions that impact people over to the states and the states would uh, devolve into the, the local communities and get government as close as you can. 95% of the operational issues that people feel every day come from local government. It's police and fire protection, it's their zoning, it's quality of life, parks, all of those things are, are implemented or deployed by local government. The Republican Party, uh, our problem is we have to have a foil. Uh, if, if When Obama was in office, it was easy because we just kept shooting at what policies uh, that he would uh, uh, that he would implement or, or attempt to implement, and then once Obama went away, we had to find a new foil, and the new foil became local governance. And right. so we just attack them. And the issue is, most of the people in the legislature uh, that are leading the attacks have never served in local government. I believe they should run for the council or run for commissioner's court. Understand what uh, what they do every day. They get elected just like we do. Uh, they're put up on the ballot every two or four years, and uh, they're, they're going to be held accountable for the actions. But uh, it's just we're, we get bored quickly because our focus in, in the state government is education and healthcare primarily. 
and then infrastructure issues. But then we got to get into everybody, everybody else's business. And I think that's, I, I believe that good government is quiet government. Government that you just go about doing what you're responsible for and quit conflating things to local government and conflating them to the federal level. Just stay in your lane and do what you're responsible for. And all, all I think people are going to appreciate our governments a lot more. Right now, it's like, what, what can we do uh, to create something sensational uh, that would help us in our next election cycle? Yeah, but to that, to that point, Representative, didn't hating on local officials allow you to keep your majority last time? I mean, I seem to remember that last year was the year of chanting defund the police at Democrats in races across the state. Arguably, you all attempting to take local control from local officials was what allowed you to be in the majority. Well, I, I'm not saying that it's not only the Republican Party, it's the, the Democratic Party as well. I think we're, we get involved in those, uh, the, the local uh, races and uh, we start making policy that, uh, uh, that we, we should take over, you know, what, what the local people are. If we're going to, if we're going to pass laws that are going to restrict what they can do, uh, then we ought to just evolve into a, 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 a bigger government. And that's what's counter to the Republicans doing this. You know, every action that, that we're taking against those uh, those uh, subdivisions of the state uh, are counter to what our philosophy is about. So that's why I continue to right. uh, uh, continue to, uh, uh, to disagree with making uh, decisions at the state level for local officials. So, so this weekend you tweeted, good ideas will attract more voters than suppression. False allegations when acted upon in the legislature will erode confidence in the voting process. Democracy is the injured party in all of this. Making it easier to vote should be the objective. You are coming out against the so-called election integrity or ballot integrity legislation that is almost certainly going to become law during this session. You will vote no against this. I already voted no against it. No, no, but you're going to continue to vote no. That's oh, yeah. I, you continue know, to oppose it. Yeah, anytime that you start developing laws for hypothetical situations that did not occur and the allegations uh, that uh, were thrown out were unsubstantiated, you had a secretary of state that had to resign her position because she stated that uh, we had a secure, uh, safe uh and smooth election process. You, you believe that's what happened, that because she committed the, the, the sin of saying that the election was not stolen, that she then could not get support in this Senate? I believe uh, that's exactly why she didn't get support. She just spoke the truth. And sometimes the truth is not something that, uh, that, that works well in this building. I mean, it just, uh, she, yeah. uh, she did, she stated exactly what uh, what the governor felt and what the secretary of state felt after the election uh, was conducted, we had uh, we had a number of people because of COVID. Uh, we had a number of very innovative strategies uh, allowing people to uh, to get uh, out the early vote. We didn't want a lot of people standing in lines uh, exposing themselves uh, to the pandemic, and so we deployed. These, these early get out the vote uh, initiatives, they work really well. And I compliment the Secretary of State and compliment everybody at the local level. And then uh, the, the, the irony to it is uh, the Trump won Texas, the, the House of Representatives 
we didn't lose uh, one seat. Well, we traded one seat. You traded one. I mean, the point is the outcome was such a good outcome. And this is kind of the point you've made at another point um, on social media. You were mocking. Uh, I, I say mocking. That's my word. But I'd be interested if you disagree with that. Mocking Briscoe Kane, the chair of the Elections Committee, for leading the legislature down a dark path of conspiracy at a time when Republicans ran the table in the elections. If the election was actually stolen, then you were the ones who stole it, right? Yeah, I just, uh, I think that uh, we start up, we start down this road, then we are eroding democracy. I mean, it, there's no doubt that uh, we've been the protector of democracy for, uh, for the last century. Uh, we've intervened uh, in world wars, uh, we fought vehemently to allow uh, the people in Iraq uh, the opportunity to vote. And there were, there were literally hundreds of people dying as they were voting because the extremist element uh, was involved. And then, then you come to Texas in 2020, uh, we do everything we can uh, to allow folks uh, of, of both parties and independents the opportunity to vote. Uh, and not be exposed, and then somebody makes a statement that that uh, that the the systems have been compromised. There's no, there's no, all all the allegations have been unsubstantiated. In fact, uh, last Friday, uh, the people in Arizona uh, and Republican senators that voted for the audit started backing off, realizing uh, that there hadn't been this wholesale. Uh, this wholesale effort to uh, defraud uh, uh, the uh, the election, uh, and 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 so I, I think that uh, it, it's it's really shameful that uh, that we we start down a road of suppressing the vote. If we had better ways of getting people to look at the Republican Party, like providing a more robust health care system, uh, and not looking at it myopically of Republicans and their health care. What about the whole uh, the whole tent? Everybody should have opportunities, the yeah. same health care opportunities. Uh, I, there's just so many things that, uh, that we could do to to outreach uh, to different groups of people. But we continue uh, to try to restrict things uh, so we can continue to, to be in office. It's that's not what this country was founded on. And that's why I can't I can't support an Ill Ill illegitimate uh, process uh, to try to suppress both. And there's there's no doubt that the intent of SB7 and HB6 when they, in their original form, that was what we were focused on. And now uh, it's it's got better. There were, there were uh, some amendments that were put on it, but there's still suppression involved. And, it's you will not, and you will not support it even if it's been made, made better in your mind. You will not we, no, no, sir. I will not support it. I think it sends the wrong message. Right. Uh, I think that we should be looking at opportunities to expand early voting. The sixty-four percent of the Republicans that voted in the twenty twenty election voted early. What we're going to do is hurt Republicans. A lot of the and, and 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 it's sort of understood in Central and South Texas that if you're running in the general election and you're a Republican, if you fall out. With 55% of the vote or more, uh, then more than likely you're going to be elected. If you're 54% or less, then the the Democrats they vote heavy on the uh, uh, on election day, and I think that's uh, 
Uh, that's uh, after the early vote falls out it, on election day. That's where the Democrats catch up with this. But we're trying to uh, restrict uh, the early voting opportunities. It's it's counterintuitive uh, to the Republican Party, right. and it's just wrong for the state of Texas uh, to be involved in voter voter suppression. Uh, you you uh, a couple different times this year. Uh, have talked about the idea of taking some of these issues that have not gotten traction in the legislature and putting them in front of the voters. Early in the session, you talked about Medicaid expansion. In fact, I think you introduced a bill to that effect that didn't get anywhere, right? That you wanted to move the Medicaid expansion conversation to the November ballot, let voters, as they have in many other conservative states, have the opportunity to go up or down on that. Um, On May the 19th, you said, frustrating that the legislature chose not to allow Texas voters to vote on these issues, medicinal cannabis, sports betting and gaming, daylight savings or standard time year round, Medicaid expansion for $5 billion a year at 90-10 match, and term limits for all state officials. You know the process for getting things on the ballot is onerous, right? And if you don't support these issues in the legislature, why would you take the chance of letting the voters disagree with you? This stuff is never going to get to the ballot. Yeah, well, uh, most of those, I've got bills, uh, and and even this session, I had a statewide referendum on uh, medicinal uh, marijuana, allow the voters, or or, or cannabis, allow the voters to make the decision like they have in other states. In in Uh, fact, in many conservative states, right? Right. It's not just liberal states where the voters have approved this stuff. Often, over the objections of conservative state leaders, conservative voters in conservative states have said yes to this stuff. And we've done polling in my own district, and it's the reddish district in Central and South Texas, and a vast majority of the people want to have an opportunity to vote on it. We've got a lot of uh, retired military that got uh, post-traumatic issues, right? and uh, they, they want an opportunity uh, other than opioids. Most physician groups uh, and TMA, they've been neutral on it, but uh, most physicians want an option besides putting people on opioids, have something to deal with pain management and anxiety. And cannabis is proven as a non-addictive approach to to dealing with our opioid issues. In fact, 34 uh, other states that have passed this this bill, uh, they've seen a a, a minimum of a 25% reduction on the uh, prescriptions that are written for opioids. So it's a it's a real solution. It's an issue that the Republican Party should embrace, and they should be the leaders on it. Uh, the The whole Medicaid expansion. If you look at what we did on House Bill Three last session, we took the education issue away uh, from uh, the opposing party. They used in fact, the- arguably, the outcome of the election last time was what it was because you didn't give the Democrats a bludgeon to beat you over the head with the way they had in 2018 right. on education, right? Right. And so we took it off the table. We should have done the same thing in healthcare. Uh, you, you mentioned the other red states. In the last three years, uh, we've seen uh, Oklahoma, Missouri, uh, Idaho, uh, and, and others, uh, other states that have red states that have taken in Medicaid. It makes yeah. no sense that we put in $24 billion to pull down $41 billion of federal health care dollars. That's a 68-32 match. And they're offering another $5 billion to cover uh, a million people at a 90-10 match. Being an Aggie, I can even understand that's better math. 
and, and a better opportunity for the folks in the state yeah. uh, to, to cover more people. And, and, and I think, again, because of their lack of experience with the local level, uh, the commissioner's court, uh, they have to deal with uh, a hospital district tax. And that hospital district tax has gone up every year because uh, the, the state government is not opting in to Medicaid. So, so why, why can't you make the case that you just made to me to your fellow Republicans successfully? I've, 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 I've tried to make it to them. In fact, we've got nine or eight other Republicans on the floor that signed on to a Medicaid uh, waiver bill. So we had a bill uh, that Julie Johnson authored. Right. And if you're working with Nathan Johnson, we had a majority and a number of the rural Republicans where we've closed 20 hospitals in the last 10 years uh, that, that uh, some would reopen and it would expand healthcare in areas uh, that are historically underserved. It makes no sense from yeah. a business standpoint. We yeah. should opt in on the Medicaid. We should write in, in the conditions of it. We should have a, an escape hatch like all the other red states have. And for whatever reason, for whatever reason, the federal government equivocates from the deal that's cut with uh, the present state government. Future state governments uh, can retract from the program. And, and, and there's no loss to it. We have, we've had very little hesitancy over the last uh, year and a half to take money from the federal government. You know, we're moving towards $50 billion, but we won't take $5 billion to deal with uh, the, the underserved populations right. uh, on an annual basis. We passed up $40 billion in the last eight years uh, because Rick Perry made a statement. Well, I just don't think that, uh, I don't think that's our, uh, in our, our best interest yeah. to continue to follow a, 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 a false narrative that was created by someone that wanted to run for president. Yeah, this is, uh, and we continue to track it. Uh, Obama hasn't been in office for, oh, what, five years? And we're right. still calling it Obamacare. How about let's grow up, let's make good business decisions. TMA, Texas Hospital Association, every business uh, medical group in the state were, was advocating for that. But people are gonna run in the primary uh, next uh, next year, and uh, they're afraid that they're going to be uh, attacked for wanting to expand Obamacare in the state of Texas. It's idiotic. Yeah, uh, that you know, we, you, we, we use those phrases and and that vernacular uh, in modern days in 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 in, in government. You know, yeah. how about let's just focus on the business uh, part of making decisions. We pull down every dollar we can dealing with education, dealing with highways dealing with public safety issues. But when it, when it comes to healthcare, we stop and we look and we leave $5 billion on the table. That's not being used to pay down the national debt. Well, in it fact, what's happening is it's going states. to pay for healthcare in other states. That's exactly right. These are our tax dollars. They can either pay for healthcare in other states or they can pay for healthcare in our states. And we're I could argue with our, anybody our that it's the most fiscally sound thing that the Republicans uh, can do. That is a fiscally conservative, That's conservative. approach to government, right. but we won't do it because uh, Rick Perry said something in 2013. You, you know, the, the, the difficulty with all of this, Representative Larson, is you paint a picture of this legislature very different from the one that on the surface most people see. You know, the visible part of the iceberg is that everything went smoothly this session, that Republicans got everything they wanted done and then some very little tension except for predictable posturing against the Senate. But you talk as if there's a part of the iceberg, the submerged part, 
that we can't see, that this was actually not a good session for Texas. I wonder when you go home to your district, think about it through the lens of your constituents. Will you go home and tell them this was a good session for them? I don't believe it. I, I, it was going to be difficult uh, because of COVID. I mean, I'm, I, it, we, it, it's a different kind of session when you come out of a, a plague and you're having to deal with the aftermath of that, dealing with the economic uh, yeah. calamity that, that was created. Uh, you had the healthcare issues. Uh, I, I think it's the worst session I've, I've served in. Uh, and I think if you talk to a lot of the veterans, they'll say the same thing. Uh, there was not a lot of leadership. Uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, a lot of the decisions being made on the floor were being made uh, by extreme elements of both parties. Well, when you uh, say there was not a lot of leadership, Representative Larson, you were for Dade Phelan as speaker. Do you regret your vote? Uh, Dade was my third choice. <laughs> I, I, I supported uh, uh, Chris Patty, then supported Trent Ashby, uh, and then we all acquiesced uh, to right, what- Right, but you did vote for him. Would you, I did, would I you did. Take, would you I take did. that vote back now? Do you think he was not a good leader? Uh, I, Dave Phelan is, uh, I, I've always considered him a friend. I, I, I don't think that uh, uh, putting people in positions where you had, uh, you had experienced people like Four Price and Dan Huberty and others, and they put them on the sidelines because of a, a problem with the previous speaker, I think that was a mistake. He didn't put the best team on the field. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, that was evident yeah. uh, as we went through a process. Uh, there were a number of people that should have been in leadership uh, in, in, in those key committees. And uh, he, he chose to uh, put other people in that were yeah. more friendly during the election process. So, yeah, I, I, definitely he made mistakes. And, and I think it was from day one. Uh, when he started selecting people uh, that uh, were political allies instead of putting the uh, the, the best players on the yeah. field. Uh, just a couple of minutes left, Representative. Uh, here is where I uh, trot out the parable of Sarah Davis. You remember Representative Davis, um, who dared to speak out against some articles of faith in her party during the latter part of her tenure in the legislature, ran afoul of the governor in 20. Uh, uh, 17, got a challenge in 2018, as you did in the primary, funded by the governor. Both of you survived that. Um, ultimately, Sarah Davis could not hold on to her seat. Her district was uh, competitive, and uh, she ended up being the only Republican who left. And, and in some ways, you could argue that she did not have as much enthusiastic support from all of her fellow Republicans, in part because she was a bit of an outlier. You know, She was brave, but she was an outlier. Didn't end well for her. Didn't end well if I remember reading Don Quixote either. You know, when you tilt at windmills, sometimes it doesn't work out. Do you worry that you're putting yourself at some risk by speaking your mind here? Yeah, Evan, the job pays $600 a month. You know, and the reality is you need to do the right thing, uh, at least how you feel about it. And yeah. I think that uh, if you look at it uh, from the Wizard of Oz perspective, you've got You've got people uh, that lack brains, people that lack courage, people that lack heart. You have a good witch and a bad witch. I think that we need a lot of good witch right now uh, because uh, a lot of bad decisions are being made, uh, I believe, that will harm not only the uh, state of Texas, but the Republican Party. Yeah. I have no apprehensions about uh, uh, speaking out against things 
that I don't believe are in the best interests in the state. And I never will be. I think that, that the, the, the issue of a partisan caucus uh, that, uh, that we all rely on in Washington and Texas, uh, that is uh, a, a very demeaning approach uh, to, to dealing with uh, real issues uh, that Texans want us to address. And so I, I have no apprehensions and I have no, no doubts or regrets uh, for anything yeah. I've, I've spoke, spoke out on. I, do I, all those issues you talked about, you know, the daylight savings and uh, th that issue will come up this fall and it'll come up next spring. And we have an opportunity to address that. Medicaid, uh, Medicaid expansion, uh, we have an opportunity to address that. All of those things are, are, are real to people. And uh, sometimes we get caught up here uh, making decisions uh, for, for either an extreme group or a, a small uh, a small part of uh, the universe that we're supposed to be representing. And uh, yeah. so I, just looking at the big picture, uh, I, I I think people need to throw in all their thoughts. When we have one or two people that are making decisions for this state, uh, we're not well served. You know, there's not, the last thing I'll ask you is this, and it's the question that's on a lot of people's minds. There's no way to take how you have chosen to conduct yourself this session, speaking your mind, no regrets, as anything other than that you're planning to retire after this session, that this will be your last session. Are you planning to retire or will you run again? Uh, you, I, was, I was looking at that last session. You make that decision in the fall. You don't make it while you're in office, uh, while you're, you're going through a session. I think a lot of people uh, have those thoughts right now about not running again. Uh, I think all of us uh, that, uh, that uh, are in, in, in the twilight of our careers should hold off and let's see what happens in the fall and redistricting and then make, make decisions uh, what's good for your district and what's good for, your, uh, for yourself uh, and your constituency. So I have not made that uh, the decision, but and, and there are other things uh, outside of politics I've got an interest in, but I'll just wait and, and, and make that decision this fall. You've been listening to Point of Order, a proud member of the Texas Tribune's family of podcasts. Thanks to our guest, Lyle Larson, and thanks to the sponsors of this episode, CPS Energy, the Texas Hospital Association, Water Grows, Methodist Healthcare Ministries of South Texas, and Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Texas. Be sure to check out the Tribune's deep coverage of the 87th legislative session at texastribune.org. And if you like what you see there or hear here, tell your friends about us. Until next time, I'm Evan Smith.